Everybody's doing well tonight. My watch says seven, so we will get started. Uh, we'll start off as we usually do uh, with with prayer requests. Uh, there's several that are listed uh, in in the bulletin. Uh, that's Melinda Braddock, Austin Wentz, uh, which I've been seeing some good reports about Austin on Facebook. Dan Gardner, Sandy Bonham having surgery soon in New York. Katie Jo Lindley, uh, Jennifer Beasley. Uh, I had another one handed to me, which was which is Margaret Ann Sanders, which is having some heart rhythm or heart rate issues. Let's keep Margaret Ann in your prayers. Uh, two that are not part of this congregation, but are part of uh, another congregation. Uh, Van Roberts, uh, he's a principal. He was a principal at Belmont. I assume he's still there. Uh, was diagnosed uh, with pancreatic cancer uh, this last weekend. Uh, that would be Greg and Annette Enloe. Now, Greg was an elder for years at IUCA and was my, was my parents' best friends growing up. So, like, I feel like I grew up with Ashley and Dara, which are the two daughters, which is Van's uh, wife. Uh, so that's a, that's a tough diagnosis for Van. Keep that, fam that family your prayers. And then Mac Cooper, uh, which is Kyle Cooper, was a kid that uh, Kim used to keep. Uh, but anyways, he has been diagnosed. He's one years old. Been diagnosed with a pretty significant and difficult to treat kidney disorder. Uh, he'll be facing a kidney transplant uh, by the time he's 11 or 12. So a uh, big deal for there. So keep Mac, Mac Cooper in your prayers that that, that goes well. I do not know where their member's at, where that group, group of Coopers is at anyways. I know that most of the rest of them are at Danville, um, just down the road here. Uh, so anyways, any other prayer requests? That was a long list I just read off. Uh, any other prayer requests that were not mentioned then? Okay, COVID and double pneumonia. What was the name? Renee Page. Okay, yes, Missy. Amanda Conley. Double cancer going out to MD Anderson. Okay. Lymphoma and leukemia. What's the name? Teresa Cole. Sick at home. Anybody else? All right. Let's go to our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the ability to come and lay our petitions before your throne. You are our Creator, you are our God and our Lord, Heavenly Father, and we know that you have heard names before they were even called tonight, Lord. We know that there are other names that probably were not called, and we know, Lord, that you know their needs better than we know to ask for them. Well, we pray that you'll be with each one of those that are sick in various ways, some short-term illnesses, medium or long-term illnesses, and some possibly terminal illnesses, Heavenly Father. We pray that you'll be with each one of them uh, to, if at all possible, return to their normal walks of life, Lord. Uh, you heard the names called earlier. We pray that you'll be with each one of those, those individuals and those families, uh, that they will, the physicians and the, and the care teams that are working with them, Heavenly Father, uh, will choose the right treatments and that they will get well if it is thy will. Pray that you'll be with those families. Give them strength and courage as it is always difficult to care for a loved one. We pray that you'll be with those that, are, that have lost loved ones recently, that you will watch over them and comfort them, Lord. Lord God, we pray that you will be with us as we go through our study tonight. 
uh, that we will look to your word and to your examples in the Bible uh, as where, where we find how we should live our lives. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will guide those, those discussions and they will be fruitful for your kingdom. And it's in your great and holy Son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, last week, I decided that I felt like we had covered the subject of abortion in the extent that I felt it was we had gone far enough within the class. I say that because... I know because you told me that many of you were having conversations after the class and thinking about things you hadn't traditionally thought of, and, and as that class progressed, you then gave me content for the subject we're going to talk about tonight. And that's the way this needs to go, because if we go back to the original point of the class, modern moral issues, a couple things there. One, it has to be right or wrong, aka sinful, and then, or not sinful. And then two, it has to be an issue, meaning that it's actively being discussed uh, within the community. And so as we went through abortion, I heard a lot of feedback to the effect of things that need to be said, things that need to be talked about. And I got a lot of admonishment to go one step backwards. In other words, we're, we're, we're at the end of the sin, let's get back closer to the beginning of the sin. And I applaud you for that. And I want you to know that whenever... Uh, this class was first presented to me as an idea to, to, to study. This subject that we're going over tonight was on my list. But it was on my list in pieces. And I have decided that we're just going to put it all in one big basket. This may take six weeks. Okay? That's the way this class is going to work until the end of the quarter, uh, is we will cover it, and I want to make sure we cover it in, in the appropriate amount of detail, uh, but at the same time that we don't linger and stay too long on any one subject. This particular subject that we're talking about tonight, or we'll be talking about for the next several weeks, I can assure you, is sexual immorality. Now, a couple of things that I want to give as disclaimers before we start this topic. Number one, you cannot talk about sexual immorality without talking about sex. If that subject makes you uncomfortable, you are going to be uncomfortable for the next several weeks. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to pull punches, as they say. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. We're going to talk about it in gross detail. And by gross, I don't mean gross. I mean in full. Okay? So we're going to go over that. Second, this topic does not embarrass me. I understand it embarrasses some people. And I will do my dead level best not to call on you if you're turning every color of red in the rainbow. And I will not try to force any participation during this particular subject matter if it does not need to be discussed. But that will not make me shy away from covering the topic. Third, we will not be... We will not be conformed or pulled to certain traditions... And what I mean by that is, is for some reason, and, and candidly, not talking about it, if you've ever said this or believed this, this is Jonathan Farr's opinion. This is not biblical. This is my opinion. I think for too long we have hid behind this subject or not discussed this subject. 
And we view things like, well, we don't talk about that in mixed company. Last I checked, sex happens with mixed company, or I pray that it does, um, with mixed sexes, I mean, because that's a whole other issue of sexual immorality. Uh, so that's okay, we're going we're to get past that. The second one is, for some reason, we just don't think we should talk about this subject. I'm going to ask you a question. How's that working for us? It's not. It's not. So, it's okay to blush. It's okay to, to laugh. Because, I, I, admittedly, I'm going to say some things that I mean in humor, and hopefully they'll be taken that way. I'm not laughing at sin, to be clear. Uh, but there's sometimes I think you just need some comic relief on some of these subjects. So when I can, I'm going to try to do that. Uh, my personal wife told me there's a good chance she won't be in class for some of this. Um, she is here tonight. I promised her that you know our relationship won't be discussed in any shape, form, or fashion. But understand that I get that. I get that this is a very private subject matter for a lot of people. Uh, but with that being said, it is not a subject that God shirks from. In fact... When I did my research for the start of the abortion class, and as you recall, I told you when we have these classes, what we are going to do, this is going to be funny, we're going to discuss the topic, I'm going to give you what the Bible says about it, and then we're going to have scenarios. I understand that might be unique with this particular topic, um, and then we're going to have discussion and, and, and have various things. Tonight is going to be a lot of me talking in the class listening. And the reason is, I feel like I have to build a bigger foundation with this subject than I did with abortion. And I think that's sad, to be candid. I think it's a miss we have done. What I mean by that is, I think we have done a really, really good job about talking about abortion, and you didn't need a whole lot of, you didn't need a whole lot of education on that particular subject. This particular subject, I don't think we talk about near enough. And it's one we almost want to pretend like it doesn't exist. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to go over those topics and, and, and go over what those things mean. So tonight, like I said, will be predominantly me sharing information. And so, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 2, verse 24. Mistake number one. Mistake number Number one, I'm going to wait till I see eyes back up after you turn to Genesis 2. Here's a, here's a newsflash. It's at the very beginning of your Bible. Real quick to turn, turn there, okay? Mistake number one. We undersell sex and marriage. I'm going to say that one more time. We undersell sex and marriage. Anybody know what I mean by that? Nobody want to talk right off the bat. Nice. So what was said was we don't teach the importance of marriage uh, and, the, and the sexual relationship. That's Yes, I agree with that statement. That's actually not what I mean by that. That's not what I mean by that. I think for some reason we are afraid to admit that God designed sex for the married couple, number one, Number two, it has a purpose in the relationship. Number three, it was designed to be pleasurable. And all of that is okay. It is not dirty. It is not gross. It is not disgusting. It is not inappropriate. So we're going to start where it started. 
And I want to debunk one myth. God designed it for the married couple and only the married couple. Married people should be having the most frequent and the best sex of anyone on the planet. How many times have you heard someone brag about how great their sex life is in their marriage? Oh no, that won't be talked about. We'll talk about how, we'll, we'll see Hollywood broadcast about how great it is out in public, outside the marriage bonds. But we don't even encourage our teenagers to look forward to that day when they're together in marriage. Shame on us. Shame on us. We are failing in that regard. Number one, right off the bat, we as a church are failing in that regard. Genesis 2 verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? Yes. Yes. Thank you. It 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 better be physically and mentally, in my opinion. And because I think if it's just physical, only one gender is winning. I think if it's not mental, only if it's only mental, only one gender is winning. And by the way. If one side of the flesh is only side winning and one side is losing, that is not a marriage. Okay? So when I say this, it says, they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What point, at what point did mankind decide it was time to put clothes on? When they sinned. Okay, when they sinned. I don't want to be too tongue-in-cheek when I say this. I would feel sorry for my wife if I ran around naked all the time. But I would love it if it worked the other way around. Okay? I am a visual person. That's okay. I'm a dude. By the way, I don't mind telling you that. I enjoy looking at my wife. I think she's a beautiful, wonderful person. There's nothing wrong with me saying that. I have every God-given right to say that. And if that embarrasses you, you have a problem with God's design. That is the way God designed it. And we messed it up. What I find is humorous about this is if you fast forward in the Genesis account, when they sinned, they tried to make their own clothes and they failed. And God made them for them. They didn't know how to start. Could you imagine a world where you had no idea how to put on your own clothes? You, you didn't even know where to start. What does underwear look like? Huh. How do I get a bra to work properly? Man, we messed up. We messed up. Hebrews 13. Let's flip over there. Hebrews 13, verse 4. 
Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. If you are having any type of sexual relationship with your spouse and only your spouse in the marriage bed, can you sin? It's not a trick question. No, the marriage bed is undefiled. The marriage bed is undefiled. I'm a guy. Let's just break this down real quick. I'm a guy. What I'm hearing right now, if I've just read these two, these two sections of scriptures, it's okay for me to be naked with my wife, check, check, like that. The marriage bed itself is undefiled. It's okay. It's good. It's the way it's supposed to be. Check, check. I like that. I'm a dude. I'm happy. Nothing's wrong so far. Nothing's wrong so far. Flip over to Ephesians 22. Excuse me. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22. I believe we have misinterpreted this group of Scripture a good bit. We oftentimes look at this group of Scripture and we we took a look at it purely from a leadership standpoint. I see a lot more than leadership. I think the marriage bed is in this too. And not only do I think that, I'm going to show that to you later on. Number one, wives submit to your own husbands. Why does it say own husband? Don't submit to someone else's husband? Uh-huh. Yes, the point he was making was Paul uses oneness with our spouse to represent oneness with Christ. Now, if we go back to our relationship with Christ to that point, we should, we should look on Christ for every solution to every problem. Do you view your spouse that way? That they are a solution for every problem you have. I didn't say the solution, but are part of the solution for every problem you have. Let's look through this as we read these scriptures. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to your husbands. I don't think that is just referring to the leadership role the husband's to have in the family. I think sex is involved in that too, just to be candid. And I'll, I'll give you stats in a minute. That's when, it really, it's when we really start having fun in class, right? We start talking about the nitty-gritty. But there's a counterpart, right? Husbands, love your wives. 
As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we reviewed the crucifixion in the last class over four weeks. Wives, do you want your husbands to love you in that regard? That they would go that far for you? Would it be hard to submit to a man that you knew loved you that way? See, the problem is, is not that there's anything wrong with marriage or there's anything wrong with sex and marriage. We just mess it up. Guys, we fail at this. As a general rule, we are horrible at this. Thank you, Marilyn, for the amen there. I appreciate that. I don't even know where to go now. I'm done. Like I said, class is dismissed. Verse 26, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, I'm going to be real candid here. Guys, I don't know if you counted the verses. The, we got, the women got like three. Maybe two. Wives, submit to your husbands and everything. We've got a paragraph so far. Okay? You picked up on that, guys? But I want you to notice that the Bible literally says, if you do this, you're going to take care of yourself too. Why? Because... She's going to be a more willing participant. I'm not just talking sex. I'm talking about in life as a partner. If you fulfill your job. But I'm going to say something else. Even if they don't, even if your spouse doesn't do their part, does that excuse you from your responsibility? No. This is a commandment. So as we keep going, Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Here we go again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. He talks about how I'm speaking about Christ in the church, and he's using this, this, this marriage bond. Adultery is a serious problem. And it is a sin that is given as a reason for someone to separate from their spouse. You know what's terrifying about that? Let's walk through this. If we sin, we commit adultery on God with Satan. I'm going to say that again. If we sin, we commit adultery on God with Satan. God says, you can drop her or him if they commit adultery. How do you think he feels about sin when you, when you partner up with Satan? Same exact parallel works. See, this, this group of passages, I can keep making parallels like this all day long. And it's why God uses the marriage relationship as this example, because it's a perfect example of how things work. Now, let's talk about just what I call the, the topic that no one wants to talk about. In church, anyways. Men and women are different. Did y'all know that? 
That, that news flash for anybody? There was a study done by Ohio State University in 2011, I believe. It said the average male thinks about sex 20 times a day. And I went, all right. And my wife went, are you serious? Serious. I'm like, yeah, on a bad day, probably 20 times. She's like, what? I'm like, well, I'm just being honest with you. Women are less than half that. That's the normal study. Men on average are 20, women less than half that. But see, that's the problem with Jonathan Farr. Jonathan Farr wants to know why. It's one thing to say the fact, but I want to know why. So I got to study in something. Now, Missy, I'm going to go ahead and say this in the front end. I am breaking this down way elementary. We're fixing to talk about hormones, okay? We're going to break this down real basic for you. Real basic. And it's not all going to be 100% scientifically accurate, but it's going to be close enough I think you'll understand the point. The average female hormone cycle, while it's working properly, premenopause, is 28 days. That's the sex gonad hormones. Okay? Estrogen, progesterone, etc. It's a 28-day cycle. There are two sexual libido peaks during that cycle. One is before menstruation, one is after menstruation. Why? Well, right immediately after menstruation, you have a good chance of getting pregnant. Right before menstruation, last chance for that egg. God designed it that way, on purpose. Why? Go back to Genesis. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And the woman's hormones for her own ovulation cycle matches that. But guys, it's up to us to actually make the multiplication happen. Just being candid. How do I know that? Do you know how long your hormone cycle lasts, guys? Any guesses? Women's is 28 days. How long is a testosterone cycle? 30 days? Good guess. 24 hours. 24 hours. It spikes in the morning. It's actually one of the reasons why most men have heart attacks first thing in the morning not later at night, is because that testosterone causes a surge of a whole lot of things. They have a massive testosterone surge first thing in the morning. It's actually what wakes us up. You want to know why really old men sleep all the time? They don't have that as much anymore. I sleep all the time. You know who I'm talking about. It's about Christmas time. Granddad's going to be asleep in the recliner. Right? It's not his fault. Okay? Things happen. It's part of aging. But the point I'm getting at is an average male of reproductive age Spikes in the morning, slowly declines overnight, over the day, over, into the night. It's the lowest at bedtime. Wakes up the next morning, <sighs> alive again, ready to go. You know how long the sexual libido spike happens for the male? Every 48 to 72 hours. And once it hits that 48 to 72 hours, it just stays there, ladies just stays there until sexual intercourse occurs. So if it's a week, 10 days, for the last seven, let's say 10 days, for the last seven days, he's just been like, need to multiply, need to multiply. And every guy in the room is very uncomfortable right now going, yep, that's exactly how that feels. And every woman's going, gross. <laughs> I don't have a clue. But let me explain something to you. 
If you look at psychological needs for men and women, men will historically and continually put sexual fulfillment as their number one need. Women, it doesn't even make the top five. Their number one need consistently is affection. What's ironic about this is what Satan does to it. Let me explain what Satan does to this. Satan takes this knowledge that men want sex and women want affection and he gets both parties fighting against each other. Now what do I mean by that? Well, look back at what we just read in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Here's the problem. He can't give you affection if he's in that plateau peak. Can't do it. Not what his mind's on. Women, until you take care of the peak, it's going to be uncomfortable. But once you take care of the peak, he can go to affection. But guys, if you don't do the affection, she's never going to get to the peak either. Because it goes both ways. So what Satan does is he makes men all puffed up. She don't take care of me, why would I hold her? And the women go, he hasn't so much as even hugged me in four days. And we fight each other. And marriage becomes uncomfortable. And the one thing that God designed specifically for the marriage couple, those two objects, He creates friction among. And He convinces you and convinces everyone else the best place to get that is outside of marriage. Get it outside of marriage and everything's going to be fine. That is a lie. Because see, in the marriage bond, if both parties do it properly, if both parties wait till they get married, and both parties do it properly, number one, there is no disease. Missy, how often do we see sexually transmitted diseases in the state of Mississippi? Once a day, two to three times a day. By the way, Missy's an OBGYN, so she, she, she only sees females. Sorry. She only sees females. Last I checked, it takes two to tango. So if she has seen one to three females with an STD today, every day, how many males are there? More than that. Yes. Do you know we're the only state in the entire country that requires a blood test for syphilis? Because we're so bad at it. How pathetic is that? We love to talk about how we're in the Bible Belt, but we still blood test each other before marriage because there's a good chance one of us has syphilis. It's ridiculous. Number two, if we follow God's pattern... I made a note here and I lost it. Where'd it go? Oh, yeah. There would be no comparisons. No comparisons to previous partners. None of that would happen. No embarrassments. You learn everything together. You grow together. But last but certainly not least, hang on one second. 
there would be no sin. There would be no sin if we followed the proper cycle. Yes, in the back. Yes. Yes, we're microwaves and crockpots. It's a perfect analogy. Uh, and sometimes the crockpot's set on low. I mean, just to be honest, like the low setting. And sometimes the guys are like the 1,100 watts instead of the 900 watt ones like we used to have. But in all honesty, if we don't acknowledge these by both parties, if men, if we don't acknowledge that this is an issue for the women, and women feel knowledge that this is an issue for the man, both of you are missing the mark. Because God said, wives, submit to your husband's needs. That's not just him leading the household. He needs you in that regard. And husbands, you are to love her like Christ. She needs you in that regard. It is her number one need. And both parties need to be participating. Now, if I was a wealthy individual... I could subcontract everything in my life. I could hire someone to clean. I could hire someone to put a roof over my table. I can hire someone to change the oil in my car. I can go to work. But there's only one person that can take care of my sexual needs. Only one. And that's my wife. I can't subcontract that out. That's known as prostitution, by the way, if I subcontract it out to somebody else, or adultery. Only two options. Men, there's only one person that she can't subcontract you out to, or one job she can't subcontract you out for. She cannot go to the arms of another man to get her needs of affection without sinning. She can't do it. So we're at an impasse as a marriage couple. We have to make sure each person takes care of each other. If we talked about this as though it was working, our young adults may actually look forward to getting married. But when we talk about the old bottle, ball and chain or the old battle axe or any other things that we talk about, why would they want to sign up? I told a group of teenagers talking about drugs. This was, I don't know, two years ago, pre-COVID, however long that's been. I told them... One of the things I made to them about drugs, as I said, the problem with drugs is people have convinced you your best years on life are in high school. And that after that, it's just downhill. So you think you'd have to live it up and enjoy every second. Let me tell you something. High school was not the best years of my life. It was not. I'm still living them, by the way. I love every year I got what I don't understand is why we as the church have the only key to fulfill sexual immorality. We have the only key that unlocks that lock. And we talk about it as though it's awful. Shame on us. If I only complain about how terrible my wife is, why would my two sons ever want to get a wife? This lady over here will take care of his needs for him. This lady over here will take care of his needs for him. This computer screen will take care of his needs for him. 
Why would he ever want to sign up for marriage if it's that awful? So your number one goal that I want you to work on, you have a grandchild, you have a child, etc. One, I want you to fix your marriage to the point that someone would actually want to be married. I want you to live that example in front of those young individuals. And two, I want you to talk to them. Remember I talked about how we're going to equip ourselves for battle? We're going on the offensive. We are retaking marriage. We've got to quit telling everybody it's awful. You've got to quit doing that. You're playing right into Satan's hand. And he loves you for it. Keep talking about how awful that wife is. Keep talking about how worthless that man is. Keep doing that. And Satan is gobbling up our young folks and our young adults and our middle-aged, and even our seniors. He is gobbling them up left and right with sexual immorality. How do I know that? You remember in Ecclesiastes where Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything's been done before. Well, let's just test that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to end here. We didn't get through all the things I want to get through tonight. We're going to end here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I find it be interesting. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Okay, let's unwrap that verse. Cleanse ourselves of every defilement. Now, if you remember, we got a, in Hebrews it said the bed, marriage bed is undefiled. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. I am not there. I am in 2 Corinthians 7. I am now moving to 1 Corinthians 7. It is interesting, though, that is another verse I was supposed to cover. I just went to the wrong one first. My apologies. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Much better. All right? The problem is we are going to go over that first later. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That sounds like it goes against everything I've been teaching for the last 38 minutes. What's he talking about? Well, let's read on. But, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. That's what I've been talking about. And likewise, the wife to her husband, likewise meaning his conjugal rights. The husband, verse 3, excuse me, verse 4, for the wife does not, this is a scary verse, the wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. Likewise, it goes the opposite direction. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse 5, I think, is very key. Do not deprive one another. I'm going to say that one more time. It is a command in the Bible. Do not deprive one another. What is he talking about? The conjugal rights he just talked about. Women do not deprive the husbands. Husbands do not deprive the women. 
Take care of each other. You're the only person on earth that can provide this service for your spouse. No one else can legally. And he says, do not do it. I don't know of clear language you can write that with. But this next verse is interesting. It says, except, perhaps, by agreement, and look at the next phrase, for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. In other words, honey, I need to pray. Can we separate? I just need to go to the closet and say a prayer real quick. Is that good? Yes, we're good. I don't have to be held right now. Great. I'll catch you up on Amazon Prime. 20 minutes, okay? I go in there take care of my prayer life. I do those things. She takes care of her prayer life. We sit back down. We do whatever it is we were doing together. It's a mutually agreed upon thing. That's how one flesh works. Could you imagine how my body would work if my left leg tried to go this way and my right leg tried to go this way? Wouldn't work, would it? How many times does marriage work like that? It should never work that way. It won't work that way. I think sometimes we try to make it work that way. Then the last of that verse I find very interesting. Well, well, why do we need to be so careful about taking care of each other and not depriving each other? Why do we need to be so mindful of this? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, if I unpackage that, and I, I, don't, I don't bring any prejudice to the system, I just say, okay, what is God trying to tell me? He says, don't deprive one another. He says, because of sexual immorality, God designed this union. And He gave, them, he gave a man and a woman. He says, the, the man's body's not his own, the woman's body's not her own. He should give her her conjugal rights. She should give him his conjugal rights. Why? Why are we doing all that? And we can only come apart when we agree. Why, why can we do that? Because Satan is going to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's a promise, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. There, there wasn't... Satan might tempt you. He could tempt you. It says, because Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now let's get real personal. If you're not doing your side of the agreement, you are aiding and abetting the enemy. I'm going to say that again. If you are not fulfilling your side of the agreement, in other words, if you are not giving her her conjugal rights or him his conjugal rights, you are aiding and abetting Satan. How do I know that? Because God says specifically, you will be tempted by Satan. It's going to happen. So, husbands and wives, you have the only combination to survive sexual immorality. Your spouse only can look to you to solve that particular problem. And if you don't solve it for them, you are failing as a husband or a wife. That's something you need to rectify in your personal life. Now, if I'm talking about sexual immorality, why did I start here? 
Because like I said, we do not sell marriage. And we don't sell sex where it should be. We don't do it. We don't want to talk about it. We pretend it's dirty. We pretend it's gross. We focus so much on the sin of sexual immorality, we forget we're the ones that should be having the good time. It was designed for us, not the world. So next week, we're going to go over verses that talk about sexual immorality. Let me tell you, I found six or eight for abortion. Real quick, 40 passages on sexual immorality. We're going to go back to Numbers. We're going to be in Corinthians. We're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to be in Thessalonians. It's everywhere. And if God talks about this subject that much, we should be too. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for your time.